when you talk about human possibility, that's really what American democracy stands for. The founding of our country was the repudiation of a system of entitlement for king, queen, and aristocracy. The founding of this country turned that entire paradigm on its ear. The idea that all men are created equal, all men given by God inalienable rights of life and of liberty, of the pursuit of happiness, that it's the role of government to secure those rights, to broker individual liberty and the, the balance between that and um, a care for the common good. These are very, very enlightened principles, but from our very beginning, the entire narrative of America's political journey has been that from the beginning, they're in our DNA has been the struggle between those principles and our oftentimes failure to live them. Welcome to Commune, where each week we explore the ideas, values, and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy, purpose-filled lives. That clip at the top of the show was Marianne Williamson, We had her on the show a couple of weeks ago, discussing how her spiritual journey informed her political worldview and paved her life path as a spiritual teacher, author, activist, and former congressional candidate. In this episode, we dive a bit deeper and ask the question, what is the relationship between politics and spirituality? While the separation of church and state is one of our country's founding principles, spiritual faith has often been at the center of positive political change. Over the past two generations, the religious right has flourished, particularly amongst evangelicals. Once upon a time in America, there was a religious left based in the Catholic Church, but in the last 40 years, folks on the left have largely disconnected their spirituality from their politics. But today, we're seeing that pendulum swing back with people making clear connections between spirituality and global well-being. In this episode, join us as we look for a political path forward based in love and compassion. We'll talk to two inspiring women whose political journeys grew out of their own inner sense of spirituality and human connection, and we'll learn how we can harness our drive for personal wellness into civic engagement. First, meet Julie Oliver. She grew up poor in Texas, the daughter of a school teacher and a pawn shop owner, and now, now she's teaching yoga, raising her children, and running for Congress. My name is Julie Oliver. I am running for U.S. House of Representatives in District 25 here in the great state of Texas, but I'm also a working mother of four and a yoga teacher. And was there a specific moment that thrust you into a pretty big decision, you know, to run for Congress? My son was born into the neonatal intensive care unit of a local hospital here in Austin. By the time he was a freshman in high school, he started to get very, very sick and discovered he had an immune deficiency. He's able to stay on our insurance because the Affordable Care Act allows children to stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26. And then two, it prohibits an insurance company from discriminating against him. So he can't get denied coverage from an insurance company as long as the Affordable Care Act is intact. And, and that's 
what got me going. But there are almost daily reasons to stay in this race. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about you as a yoga teacher. You know, while yoga is a physical practice, it's also very much a spiritual practice. And kind of baked into those teachings are, you know, concepts like ahimsa, nonviolence, that have been, you know, very influential historically um, in political movements, obviously, most famously with Gandhi and, and Martin Luther King. But I'm, I'm wondering more personally, like, if your yoga practice influences how you think about public service and, and civic engagement. I would say it does very much so. And I would say that what you just referenced, Ahimsa, doing the least harm, is probably one of my guiding principles and and what I step into in every day and and what I what I want to campaign for what I what I want to be an advocate for there's so much need but there's also so much ability to support people who have need and if we turn a blind eye and say you know what corporate profits are more important than this person's physical needs that's that's doing harm to somebody and I can't in good conscience make decisions that would would harm somebody in the face of that. And it also has helped me connect truly with others because I didn't know what to do when I first started running for office because I didn't have this, this huge network of political operatives who could help me out. And I thought to myself, I need to go meet people. I have to connect with people. I need to hear their stories. How can I advocate for them legislatively if I don't know them? And so from the start, from the absolute start, I got in my car and I just started driving and meeting groups of people who were meeting. And from there, it turned into block walking. And then from there, it turned into town halls. And now it's almost like everywhere I go, whether I'm in a grocery store or the gas station, I look at that as an opportunity to connect with somebody and see them. And being able to do that with people, especially on people on the other side of the aisle, it has been uh, just such a, a game changer. People are willing to share with me and open up. And even if they don't see eye to eye with me politically, they feel like they're in a safe space that they can talk with me. So yeah, yoga is a big part of it. <laughs> Your fellow Texan, Brene Brown, whom I'm a great fan, she writes, um, you can't hate close up. It's hard to hate close up. Move, <laughs> move in. And so, you know, th those interactions face to face uh, in the yoga studio or in the grocery store or on the street, those are things that can help create the true meaning of yoga union connection, right? Mm -hmm. So you're part of this wave of exceptional women. There's 185 women, I believe, that are actually have won the nomination for Congress, you know, that are running in November. I think 143 of those are Democrats. And I want to kind of tie that a little bit into the yoga community because there's there's 37 million Americans who are practicing yoga and about 80% of those are women. They tend to be highly educated and, and urban, um, which would normally suggest that this would be a fairly politically active demographic. Um, but the kind of wellness and spiritual communities, at least for the last couple of generations, I think have largely shunned political engagement because they see yoga and their spiritual practice as sort of a safe place that's sort of removed from the dirty qualities of politics. 
And, you know, I was talking to Marianne Williamson, and she, uh, she, she talks about, well, this wasn't always true. Like, in the 60s, there was a time where spirituality and politics were actually went hand in hand. She said, you know, we did the I Ching in the morning and then went to an anti-war rally in the afternoon, <laughs> um, which I thought was funny. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, the right brings together spirituality and politics marvelously to their credit, you know, uh-huh. uh, you know just look at the, the evangelical movement. So... I wonder if you feel like the pendulum is swinging back and that the wellness and spiritual worlds, which are largely female, are becoming more politically activated and that they're beginning to see a clearer line between their own personal wellness and societal well-being. What I am seeing in my community or the community that I've even come to know in, in this journey of running for congressional office is that there are hundreds in in my district of highly educated women who didn't wait for somebody to ask them to get involved. I think they saw that the the soul of their communities, the souls for, you know, the future um, were at stake and the time to be silent was no more. And if they're not even running for an office, they are supporting candidates who are in such an incredible grassroots way so how do we get people out to vote in in years that it is, um, you know, not a presidential election and they're out doing the work? Well, let's go out. Let's talk to our neighbors. Let's block walk. Let's phone bank. Let's do this again. I call it the old school style of campaigning. And if you actually have to meet people and it is revolutionary because we haven't seen that sort of thing in decades. You change minds by, you know by presenting yourself to somebody and just having that conversation. It's a courageous conversation, but it doesn't have to be hostile. So when you win in November, um, yes. what are the issues that you want to focus on when you arrive in Washington, D.C.? I would love to focus on guaranteed universal health care for everybody in America. I would love to work on true immigration reform. I would love for Texas to be the model of what true compassionate immigration reform could look like. And it can be done. We just have to have the political fortitude to do it. And and then finally, I would love to work on corruption in Congress. And I think, again, big money is a huge part of that. Again, this is not a Republican issue. This is on both sides. We have congressmen and women and senators who are bought and sold based on who their donors are. I want to just kind of pick up on a a few of the other things that you said earlier in the interview. So you're still teaching classes. Are you, I mean, how do you manage that? I am. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Nobody wants to campaign and nobody wants phone calls at seven o'clock in the morning. So I'm still teaching. I find that it's, again, the energy inside of a yoga studio is so grounding to me and the environment that I've stepped into that I welcome it. It's like a it's sanctuary for me. It truly is. I know that, I hope that doesn't sound corny, but it is like when I step in and just there's this energy of calm and quiet and introspection. It is exactly what I need. And do your students know that you're running? I mean, I assume they do. Some of them do. I don't mention it in every class. Recently we had a yoga fundraiser, so I, so I did plug that in my classes. But I, I don't get too involved in talking about me. But when it comes to the registration deadline to register to vote, I always remind people, I'm like, please register to vote. When it comes to election dates, I remind people of election dates. 
So those 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 reminders I drop in, but I'm not I'm not campaigning while I'm teaching. Yeah. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and more thank you for your decision to serve the public. I hope the next time we speak I can call you Congresswoman. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Carrie Kelly is the founder of Citizen Well, an organization dedicated to democratizing wellness, community building, and collective action. She spent seven years as executive director and is currently board chair of the nonprofit Off the Mat Into the World. They work to train leaders around the world in social change. Carrie builds bridges between yoga, self-inquiry, and effective community action. Her life's work has been to transform personal wellness seekers into powerful forces in the loving fight for social justice and equality. My name is Carrie Kelly. I live in New York. I'm a recovering corporate executive. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a community organizer. I'm a political hacker. My passion is in um, really just mobilizing the wellness community into a political force that can democratize well-being for everyone. And so we do everything from street actions to small group community organizing to advocacy work uh, to electoral engagement so as to get people more politically conscious and um, engaged and really connecting what we know to be their private passion around wellness into um, public engagement around policies and programs that support the well-being of everyone. That's a lot. Now, you're a yoga teacher and you're a political organizer and founder of, of Citizen Well. I'm wondering, how do those roles for you inform each other? How your yoga practice and your teaching informs your political organizing and vice versa? I mean, for me, they've always been really similar. I mean, I I got political around the same time that I became a yogi. It was right after 9-11. I lost my stepdad, who was a fireman. And yoga was the thing I turned to to heal. And so my getting politically activated because the world landed on my doorstep, literally, and my discovering the capacity to heal and to find purpose happened simultaneously. So I never really understood those things to be separate. And as I, as I taught yoga and, and really um, leaned into that spiritual path, for me, it was really about organizing my body, organizing my mind, organizing around what matters most to me, organizing around my values. You know, and it, it starts on the mat. It starts, I think, in a real individual way. But as you know, it very much expands from there. And it started to inform the things that I ate and the, the products that I bought and the places that I visited and the way in which I wanted to serve my community. So what at first was like a very individual seeking path for me spiritually became um, collective and, and political very quickly. And as I started to organize communities, it felt really similar. You know, it felt like um, facilitating an experience where people get aligned with their values, what issues they align with, what they fight for, how they fight for it. So the two, the, the two things have always felt 
not just intertwined, but really complementary. Like we can really use the spiritual practice to be, I think, really effective political advocates. Um, we can use the spiritual practice to become really effective allies in community organizing, especially, you know, when fighting for frontline communities. And, and I think we can use the spiritual practice to stay in integrity, right? To hold ourselves accountable to, are we really walking the talk? Um, so the two really, I think, feed off of one another. And that was the thing I think that really inspired, you know, the work of Citizen Well. It was, and I know you know this, right? Like we saw this huge trend of people um, just doing yoga religiously and spending so much money in the wellness marketplace. I think it's like $299 billion. And it, it looked a lot like an emerging constituency, but it wasn't necessarily, to your point, translating publicly, right? It wasn't necessarily translating into the political sphere. And I think in some way it's because the private space was giving people everything they needed individually to be well, but it wasn't giving us everything that we needed collectively to be well, right? The private space wasn't necessarily um, addressing the systemic barriers to well-being. And so I think people are seeing now that we actually, we have to be engaged not just in our individual well-being, but in our societal well-being and our collective well-being if we, if we all want to be well on individual and collective levels. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, when we're talking about personal wellness and in, on an individual level, we're focusing very much on the places where we have physical deficiencies or maybe we're sick or we're, we're changing our behavior to affect and impact in a positive way our own personal well-being. And, you know, for a while, some of the illness in society seemed asymptomatic for people, like they couldn't really see it. And then obviously in the last couple of years, I think what we've seen is those symptoms come really forward um, and people then are now actually looking to address sort of what the ills of society are. And, you know, as the wellness industry is led um, by women, generally, and comprised of women, you know, certainly yoga, which is, you know, 80% female. And so what I think, you know, naturally what we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, and certainly this year, is women stepping forward in a way that maybe you haven't seen since like 1992 in terms of like running for political office, but it goes deeper than that, you know, really, really turning out on the streets, engaging in, you know, civil disobedience and social activism. You know, you saw all of the protests um, surrounding the Kavanaugh hearings. And I, and I wonder, you know, there's 185 women who have won their nomination for their parties uh, for Congress in these midterms. And, you know, that's certainly one way to go. Like, you can raise your hand and, and run for office. But not everybody can do that. And I wonder what you would say to everyone within the wellness community, but particularly women, of like, here are some ways for you to tangibly kind of get involved and express your, your personal empowerment and responsibility. I, I was in D.C. I got arrested three times um, around the Kavanaugh hearings. And, and it was really remarkable to um, see women um, having so much skin in the game and really putting their bodies on the line. And I just say that as a, a t like a testament to um, I think I think what women are starting to realize is at stake. You know, it's not 
Like ev- everyone is threatened. Um, certainly some communities more than others are being targeted. Um, but women, women's bodies, Roe is very much at stake in this upcoming Supreme Court term. And so the, I think women are starting to like find their words and really understand more clearly how the personal is in fact political. And so it was incredible to see um, women not just marching, but really like laying it down. I think what's really cool is that you know you'll not be alone if you want to hit the streets or if you want to advocate or if you want to like do civil disobedience and nonviolent action, that there's a real budding community emerging around that kind of work. And then I think there are other ways to take to get to get active too. I mean, I think you see a lot of people hitting the phones and calling their congressmen and starting to realize that their elected officials in fact work for them. <laughs> so so there's like I think a real like realization that um, we need to hold our elected officials accountable for what they promise and for what they say they're going to do. But, you know, more often than anything, what I what I end up telling people in our organizing work is to really start by having courageous conversations with the people who are most proximal to them. Um, you know, whether it's your coworkers or your students or your, you know, your family members having political conversations at the dinner table and really building the muscle and cultivating the skill of how to have conversations across difference, across the divide that help us understand one another better, but also hold relationship really sacred. And I think that's a really good beginning place that often emerges into hosting small groups or advocacy groups. Um, You know, you see women's huddles and indivisible groups um, popping up around the country. And, And that small group format really actually, I mean, that's been around forever and ever and ever. But I remember studying that um, when I went to, you know, Saddleback Church when I first started to be an organizer, because the evangelicals really understood how to organize communities in small groups around shared values and get them activated and serving. And so I think there's a real emergence of that happening now on the left. So many people are coming together in small local groups. Um, so many more people, I think, are finding their voice in just having courageous conversations in places where I believe that being political wasn't welcome. I mean, you know this in the yoga space even, it was like really taboo to ever like talk about politics in the yoga room because that was meant to be so-called neutral. But we're just seeing that everything is politicized and we really just have to be centering these conversations in conscious and mindful ways, in relational ways, um, in curious ways as often um, as possible. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, um, Get engaged locally. I mean, we're most impacted by our local politics, and yet I think people are often more removed from local politics because we tend to get caught up in the sexy, big national elections, whether that's governor or Congress um, or president. Um, and yet so much incredible stuff is happening at the local level. And and there's an opportunity to participate as a citizen at that level. But there's also like amazing opportunities to run for office, whether it's for school board or, or city council or, you know, city advocate or even just to go and attend town hall meetings and become like a vocal citizen that's, you know, participating and that gets to know the process and that gets to know uh, the stakeholders and the people that are governing is a really, really powerful act that I think goes a really long way. And and you can have so much influence at that level because in many cases for public hearings around around issues, there'll be just like a handful of people there. That's right. Um, I mean, you know, in local elections, it can be a hundred or a thousand votes that can swing. That's right. Well, and I think that that is maybe like the big 
like the big crisis that we're not talking about because, you know, we can talk all day long about how the system is broken and how all of the branches of government are corrupt. But like we've been a really passive citizenship <laughs> for a really long time. And and I think it's because we our lives have become so privatized um, and, and so individualized. And so this kind of waking up that you mentioned before of people really seeing and, and the cognitive dissidence, right, of people really feeling like disheartened, like there is something really wrong here on a like big collective systemic level. And I, I can't not get engaged. And so like to me, like if we can reignite that spirit of citizenship, that culture of citizenship, in the same way that we're ignited around wellness, right? Every day we meditate. Who says we can't call our congressperson every day, right? Every day we buy green juice or we eat organic. Who says that we can't hit the streets or visit our elected official's office every day? So for me, I think there's so much um, potential around the way in which we can actually start to practice citizenship in the way that we practice spirituality every day, every moment, everywhere you are with every. That's inspiring and, and incredibly actionable advice. I want to um, mine your own personal experience a little bit. I think, you know, as we discussed, you know, for the last couple of generations, sort of spirituality and political activism or, or engagement on the left has um, subsided in some ways, kind of become divorced. But on the right, um, you've seen incredible examples of, of essentially the evangelical church really motivating its constituency around political issues. And I know that that has been a model for you uh, yeah. as you contemplate how to create um, this new kind of political religious left or spiritual left. So I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your experience kind of looking at the evangelical movement and how you're applying some of those takeaways to what you're doing. Yeah, when I first started organizing, you know, one of my mentors sent me to Saddleback Church under the leadership of Rick Warren because they were really curious about the way in which the evangelicals were building both what we call depth and scale on an organizing level, right? Depth in spiritual practice, right? Getting people to come together around um, the Bible, um, around ritual, around values, around purpose, and scale in the way in which they actually built an infrastructure that, you know, um, I mean, I think now, you know, they've had group, small group ministries um, at Saddleback since 2006, and they have something like 7,500 small groups that meet every week. Amazing. And then tw- 27,000 plus worshipers, right, in congregation every week. And so, like, they've cracked the code of um, of both, like, building a, a culture of engagement that's spiritually based, that keeps people kind of on this. And I think what, what the hook for people, um, and Rick Warren, I think, really figured this out, was purpose, right? Like, he was really giving people a pathway to finding and fulfilling their purpose in relationship to one another and in relationship to ministry. And so we set out when I was running off the mat into the world, we really set out to replicate that. Um, What would it look like to actually build a 
culture around our spiritual practices that was centered in values and shared practice and community, and then replicate that through small circles all over the country and ins- and actually help those, uh, those folks and those communities start to bridge the personal to the political. You know, on the left, we talk, all, we talk about community quite a bit, but the evangelical community, I mean, they really built the community. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with this small circle concept that you're talking about, because there are, they have physical space everywhere, you know, between 250 and 300,000 churches, right? Yeah. Where people go every week to connect around shared practice and shared values. And those are the places that then become the discussion points for a lot of these issues and um, and for candidates and for fundraising and, and what have you. And I think, you know, in some ways that's what's missing on the left. And, you know, we've talked about this a bit, but there are 24,000 yoga studios in the United States, and that's where people go often to tap into their community. You know, you could practice at home or you could, you know, yeah. go for a jog, you know, if you're really just looking for exercise. But a lot of people go to their local studio because they're looking to connect around shared values and practices. But that has largely been very apolitical. And so, you know, I'm wondering how can one on the left um, create those containers? What are the places um, where people can congregate around these ideas and organize? Well, I I mean, I think that the medicine for individualism is relationship. And, and, and I do think actually that like online and field can work together, but I do think we have become disconnected and distracted and isolated from one another. So for me, like the, the, the core of the core of the core that we're talking about here is reestablishing relationship with one another. I think that uh, yoga studios are really fertile ground for that, for sure. And all of these meditation studios that are popping up, but I think like workspaces, I mean, I'm in a co-working space and we have like a ton of community culture in our co-working space. I think that like um, neighborhood, like block parties and living room, small group conversations are really powerful. Um, you know, like I, I think about like the Tupperware movement and I think actually there's a lot of latent forms out there that just haven't been radicalized and politicized, right? Like mom's groups, like these Tupperware groups. So like, to me, those are the places where we can actually start to bridge the divide and see that like, we can, we can, we actually have the capacity to have conversations about our personal well-being and simultaneously have conversations about our collective and political well-being. I just think we need some bridge tools. So I think bridge tools look like this. One thing is I think inviting people into your community and gatherings that don't look like you is a really good way to get political, whether you want to or not. I mean, there's just so much available to us online right now. And there's so many juicy organizations that are putting out tools and resources. And we, we do this all the time because we get that, like people feel really paralyzed and stuck until you actually hand them something and you're like, here, do this. (laughs) And sometimes that's enough to get them to do it. Right. So I think that we just have to like start practicing it the way that we like hit our mat and do a pose for the first time. You know, I often tell people like have a party. Maybe it's a wine tasting. Maybe it's a potluck. Maybe it's a book club. And and then get get courageous about like what you invite into that space that can become more politically um, rigorous. Yeah. In finding the, that direct connection between 
your wellness and policy, not necessarily always politics. I want to ask you about Citizen Well. You could have joined another organization. You ran an organization in the past, um, but (laughs) you decided to do something that was incredibly challenging, but also because it's incredibly challenging, incredibly powerful. I think it was cooking in me for a really long time that at some point we were going to hit a ceiling in the nonprofit sector. (laughs) I think I saw that that Um, there was a need to organize, like organize power, right? Because, you know, one of the things I love about our community is it's like so many, um, you know, people, like so many fractals of people doing individual good work. That's always happening, I think, in the wellness and spiritual world. But when it's not organized and coordinated, it's really hard to like leverage that power against the real big systemic forces that are at work. And we also saw that we needed to do the culture shift work that got people to see that the personal was in fact political. And so that's sort of where Citizen Well stepped in. We were like, okay, we'll, we'll do the organizing. And we looked at people like the NRA Right. Who was like organizing a massive group of people around the Second Amendment and and gun rights, people who were equally passionate as our people are about being well and eating healthy and taking care of the environment. But they actually built an infrastructure that organized those people and leveraged that power in ways we now know um, is very much um, at work in D.C., And so we were like, what would it look like for us to build infrastructure around that within the wellness community so that we could we could work towards building that kind of power? Well, Carrie, you've always been uh, a leader in this particular realm. And the work that you're doing now is more important than ever. So thank you. Thank you. And God bless you and know that we're behind you 100 percent. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And thank you for for having this conversation and bringing this to light. Yeah, it's only the beginning. In these tumultuous times, it's easy for many of us to retreat into our spiritual practices. Whether you go to a church, a meditation studio, or you just sit quietly at home, this time and space we create for ourselves can provide a much needed refuge. But it's important not to become too isolated and divorce spirituality from civic engagement. As Carrie said, we've been a really passive citizenship for a really long time because our lives have become so privatized and individualized. And the health and wellness of democracy relies on an engaged and passionate and educated citizenry. So many of us are working on our own personal wellness, but perhaps now it's time to look up, look around, and start working on our collective wellness by becoming more involved in the world around us. Now, you can help organize a march, you can get on the phone to your congressperson, you can even run for local office, but you can also just simply start by inviting a few friends over for dinner and being brave enough to start a political conversation from a place of love and compassion. With people like Julie and Carrie stepping up, finding the courage got a whole lot easier. If you want to learn more about how to connect your spiritual practices with your political ones, we offer courses including how to organize a march at www.onecommune.com. 
And you can take a course with Marianne Williamson on the keys to a successful career as a teacher and a leader. Spirituality can unite us in a way political discourse often fails us. What we need right now is to recognize and unify around our common destiny as humans living together on this planet. But for now, that's all from the Commune Podcast. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next week. Thank you.